Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Man, I have got a treat. You are going to, when you leave this podcast today, you might just turn your head and say, what? Like, what did they just say? Like, what did they just get into? But I have a rock star. He's a podcast host, a sales trainer, a world traveler. And I I love this guy. Love this guy's take. You can find him on Twitter at SayWhatSales. But you can find him right here right now on the Intentional Encourage podcast. That's my friend James Buckley joining me on the Intentional Encourage podcast. James, what's good, man? How you doing? Amen, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. I love encouraging other people. I think that is my why I get up in the morning. <laughs> no, dude, listen, and, and, and I will take the, the listeners behind the curtain, so to speak. So I had a pre-senior moment this morning. Yeah. When I, w- when I was, so I'll be pushing 50 now. I'm pushing 50. I'll be 50 next year. And so, you know, JB sends me, he's like, Hey, send me this to this email address. And, and I sent the email address and, and I put, you know, James Barrows <laughs> instead of James Buckley. And, and, and I've done that before. And it's like, I just hate that. I'm like, Oh, how do I do that? You know, but you know, again, it's a pre-senior moment. It's the gray in the beard, you know. And so uh, my my friend was gracious enough to forgive me. He's like, Sexton, what are you doing? You know, but. <laughs> well, but I said, who's James Barrow? <laughs> yeah. Well, that could be your new pseudonym, man. That could be your new pseudonym. Well, so, we joke all the time. John and I joke all the time about how nothing needed to be re- rebranded for me to come on. We, we could just stick with the same JB. If we only hire people that have JB. As their initials. Well, well, what you need, yeah. What you need to do is go around your hometown and go Barrows, James Barrows. You know, it, you know, they're like that's what you need to do. But, but my buddy James Buckley is with me today, and uh, James, let's start here. Uh, the last twenty months or so, and I've been asking people. It, it, it kind of became a question that I started asking very early on, like, like how are things in your neck of the woods? How are things where you are? Because I wanted a perspective outside of West Virginia. I wanted a perspective that I could say, okay, I know what it's like here, but I don't know what it's like there because we weren't traveling a whole lot. We weren't moving around a whole lot. We were kind of stuck in place, stationary, if you will. And where you live, especially, you live near a place that thrives and needs people to be there, and they they weren't there. Yeah. Take me through the last 20 months or so. What were you hearing from folks in your area? And what were you hearing from clients that you were serving? Or, or, you know, what were they going through? Yeah. So I live in East Tennessee. I live in a small town called Maryville, Tennessee. We're outside of two major areas for tourism, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. Those two areas tend to drive a lot of tourism business. Um, not necessarily a tech sales heavy place. Most of my 
professional life is spent training people that reside elsewhere, San Francisco, New York, Miami, Texas, right? Places where software tends to be a little bit more of a foothold. But in this instance, I found myself talking to locals and hearing about the struggles that they were going through from an economic perspective due to the lack of foot traffic and tourism traffic that they were. Yeah. You live in the sorghum Valley. You don't live in the Silicon Valley. It's more sorghum and molasses. And yeah, no, literally molasses. (laughs) Like you can drive 30 minutes away from my house and there is a guy that stands outside and pulls cane and has a donkey that walks around in a circle with an old contraption that pulls the 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 molasses the sugar the base out of it Uh, that's the place that i live right Um, that's how i live in right there brother yeah you're really making it if you got the donkey (laughs) Um, but but i think the thing that sticks out the most to me is that so many businesses had to close their doors whether permanently or temporarily for one of two reasons one they literally couldn't pay the bills anymore. It just wasn't happening for them. So they closed the doors permanently. Or two, they couldn't keep enough employees to justify having the doors open because there just wasn't enough business to keep an employee on for longer than a few months before they would leave or go find some other gainful employment because their hours were being cut or whatever the case was. That was a very common issue. On the flip side of that coin, from a world perspective, I'm seeing people get let go in droves, frontline SDRs, account executives that were at the bottom of the performers list. And all of these people came screaming at us at JB Sales to help them change so that they could find that new gig or change their current strategy and keep the job that they had because they were on that bottom list, the bottom of that performer list. So those were the two juxtapositions that I saw quite a bit, quite frequently throughout the last 20 months is people closing their doors and then sellers saying what I was doing isn't working anymore because the buying and selling environment has changed so much. Help me. What do I do? And those were the conversations I was having most frequently. I love what you said there, the help me questions, because I think, James, I think what people do a lot of times is, and I saw this in sales a lot in my time in sales, is that Customers reach out when the only thing they can do is reach out, if that makes sense. And and it's like, well, okay, I have nothing else to do. I can't figure this out on my own. I've tried everything else. So now I'm going to reach out to you because I'm really hoping that you've got a life preserver or a raft that can bail me out. When you think about those help me questions, did you see them more from a place of how do I survive this? or help me get past this so I can take my business to the next. And here's, forgive me for the long-winded question. No, no. Because here's what I saw. I saw some people that were thriving, like with the stock market last year. A lot of people that were in a position to buy bought when everybody else was selling. Yeah. So everybody else was bailing on the market, and those people just came in like sharks and just scooped it up. And that's what I'm talking about, about the help me mode of, did, did you see that most people were going, I'm trying to survive or help me navigate out of this. So when I, when we do get out of this, we're in a way better position than we are now. We saw, we saw both pretty consistently. And that's one of the reasons that we pivoted the way that we did. What we realized very quickly was that so many businesses need help in the current environment dating back to 20 months. I mean, it just, everything shifted overnight. Everything was turned upside down and no magic bullets existed. There used to be this 
like formula, this formulaic approach to our messaging when it came to making business happen, closing deals, getting new opportunities. And that that formula looked like this. Hi, my name is, and I'm with, and we do. Sound familiar? It should. That's what yeah. most people used to do. Uh, but once once 2020 got kicked into full gear and really got kicked in the head, I think everything shifted into a more customer-centric approach and it no longer became about you and who you're with and what you do. It became more about them and what they need and the things you knew about what they do. And that shifted the messaging in such a dramatic fashion that suddenly leaders that had been historically dependent on KPIs and metrics and the law of averages and volume had to take a big step back from that and think, how can I get my people doing less better? Because that's what shifted. So we quietly went to market with the JB sales membership and just started teaching people this stuff outright and giving them formulas that were more customer centric. Uh, for more information out there, if you're listening, join jbsales.com. Super simple. Yeah. We'll have links to that in the show notes and everything else, because yeah. again, James, I, I, here's what, what, what I kind of, in the, in the way I wanted to take our conversation is sure. it, it's not like, it, it's not like sales. It's not like people were trying to to reinvent the wheel. I think there no. were a lot of sales companies that might have felt like they were trying to reinvent the wheel because they everybody like they had to. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. Everybody thought, okay, we've not been through anything like this, but some people had already because, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, and it and it fits here too, is that in my lifetime, the greatest single event that I can remember is 9-11. Mm. And, you know, for my 21-year-old son, the greatest single event of his lifetime will be COVID-19. Yeah. He will remember where he was when the day of the world shut down and everything changed. And most and most sales orgs were kind of like, okay, um, we, we do this. We know what the projections are. We're going to do this. We're going to roll with it. And, and we know what we do. And some sales orgs were kind of like, okay, well, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do something else. How do we reinvent ourselves when maybe reinvention wasn't what they needed? Maybe they just needed to take a step back and make sure that all the holes were plugged so that the boat could keep going. I would push back and say that in most instances, it's not a reinvention, but a history lesson that's needed. Okay, oh, I like that. Go, Yeah, go a little deeper with that. Yeah, sure. I'll give you a great example. And I'll use your example of 9-11 as one. Just recently, uh, we had a conversation about Christmas in New York with my now 16-year-old daughter. And her comment was that she loved Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and she wanted to go to New York during Christmas and visit all the places that Kevin McAllister was when he was lost in New York. And one of the yeah. places she mentioned right away was the World Trade Center. Yeah. And in that instance, we had to turn around and tell her I don't, I don't know that you know this, but that building is no longer standing. Yeah. Right. And that's because she had no concept, no historical knowledge of what that represented and why she was too young at the time. Right. I don't, I don't even think she was around at the time. She well, you know, around. here's the thing. But, but that, history yeah, go ahead. Lesson, that history lesson, I think is what tells people what's new, what's hot what might be different, what might be unique. Without that history lesson, we're really just throwing arrows in the dark, hoping we find yeah. a pain point or hoping we find something that work. And my friend, Roger Jefferson, who's a world famous sales enablement person will tell you that hope is not a strategy. 
We can't hope for that in business. That's not a luxury that we can afford. We have to strategize. And the only way we can come up with an effective strategy is to know the history behind what we're doing. Yeah. Isn't it funny though, that a lot of sales orgs will tip, will, will compare salespeople to history mm. and, and, and sales orgs that, that, that I were, was a part of either as a salesperson or as a sales manager, it was always about, well, you know, uh, here's where you're trending against your history from last year. Ah. You know, and, and here's the thing. It's, it, I, I wanted to look at my sales. I, I wish I could go back in time and look at my sales manager and go, man, that was last year. There were a lot of things that went into play behind those numbers that you saw last year. This is a new year. This is different. But you're measuring me against history instead of measuring me against the present. And, and I think that's a very archaic way of doing that because it's all, it was the way that it had always been done, right? It was the way that, and so yeah, I don't know that you could go back as popular as remakes of movies are. And I love that what you brought out about home alone. I don't know that you could go back and remake that movie for the simple fact that the world trade center is not there. FAO Schwartz closed. So I don't know that you could go back and redo that, that movie again, like you did it. Let me go here with this question with you, because you've really brought something up that I, that I love. And I think we've got some salespeople out there that may be listening going, okay, James, I hear you. Yeah. But how do I get past my past in sales? Mm -hmm. How do I get past and move up to that next level when I'm judged by my sales manager, I'm judged by this or that, by what I did last year or the year before that? How do I get past my past? Okay, so uh, this is a great question. I love the way you phrase it. How do I get past my past? That's such a like elegant way to think about it. Uh, but it's not quite an elegant process, right? Um, change is hard. That's the way you get past it. You accept the need for change and you A-B test to find what works. And the reason this is important is because sales doesn't have any silver bullets. There's no magic thing out there that's going to instantly increase your reply rates or that's going to land you 90% of meetings, really what it comes down to is how you're executing for every individual prospect. And it used to not be this way. Spray and pray, as, I'm commonly, as I commonly refer to it, was the way to go in 2014, 2015. Spray and pray. Oh, I love that, man. <laughs> you, could, you could make a list. You could go on LinkedIn and you could make a list of thousands of people. And you could blast out this message and you could say to yourself as a seller, I'm only going to respond to people that respond to me. I'm only going to talk to people that get back to me. Today, if you do things like this, you tarnish your domain, you damage your credibility. Automation is something that we view totally differently now than we did six years ago, seven yeah. years ago. Yeah. So none of these older styles of outreach are currently effective because they've been played out. They've been done before and there've been put safeguards in front of them so that these aren't effective anymore. What does this mean? What it means is that as the front line, the first impression, the seller in the trenches, we have to be comfortable enough to say, okay, what am I gonna do that's unique? different, personalized, scalable, and how am I going to execute on it efficiently throughout my day-to-day -day routines, my weekly routines, my monthly routines, my quarterly routines. And if you can answer those questions and put things in place that are easily executable, that yield results, no one will judge you on anything but those results. 
Because here's what never happens. Somebody might say to one of their frontline sellers, I really don't want you to use video. But when they use video, they schedule countless meetings, close countless deals. If they're putting revenue on the table, no leader, no matter how they feel about video, is going to come to that person and go, hey, great job last month. You really crushed it, but I'm going to need you to stop doing video. <laughs> yeah. So we, we've got to develop a mentality. Yeah, this works. Mentality. Don't do that anymore. Even though it, that would be like a, that would be, James, it'd be like a football coach saying, hey, you know, we're really running the ball well. Man, we're running it down their throats. Let's try to throw it. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go five wide now. Right. Yeah, we're gonna go five wide, and we're just gonna we're just gonna hit them over the top. That, yeah, but you know this used to be a thing, though. Believe it or not, Brian, I remember the days where I was sitting in my cubicle at my desk on MySpace, and my leadership would come behind me and say, "Hey, get off of there. We don't pay you to be on social." Yeah, can you exactly. can you imagine a sales leader coming up to a sales professional today and being like, "Hey, log out of LinkedIn. We don't pay you for that." What? <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah. James, let's step aside and take a quick break because I, I want to hit on something that you said there talking about the fundamentals of selling. Yeah. And I want to talk to that. I want to talk around that for the business owner All right. in our network because let's do the, the principles of business and sales really go hand in hand. And and if, if salespeople, if, if you're listening, business owner, you business owners that say I'm not in sales, that's not correct. You we, are the first seller. <laughs> exactly. James and I are going to talk about that when we come back. My guest, James Buckley, sales coach, podcast host, come back with us here on the Intentional Encourager podcast in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. James, let's, let's dive there. Yeah. I have heard so many business owners say over the years, Hey, Brian, I'm not in sales. Yeah, that's not what I do. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a restaurant owner. I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, I, I, I sell, uh, I sell sporting goods. Mm. I, I own a hardware store. I'm not yeah. in sales. Yeah. So I want to use the restaurant owner. Let, yeah. Go there. Yeah. Go, go. <laughs> yeah. You, you actually are in sales training if you are a restaurant owner. And here's what I mean. As a 15 year restaurant veteran and a top performing server and cook at many, many establishments, one of the best things I used to do was go to the tables and make suggestions. So here's what that sounds like as a restaurant owner. Hey, Billy, welcome to the team. I'm sure you're going to be a great seller. I want you to practice this opener. Hi, my name's Billy and I'm going to be your server tonight. Can I start you off with an appetizer or a Mai Tai? 
They're on special tonight. Those sentences alone make you a sales trainer for the restaurant industry. And if we capitalize on our people in a way that they are naturally and organically beginning conversations with your prospects, your guests at restaurant level, they will choose to opt in for those cross sells, upsells, bigger tickets. This does two things. One, it increases your ACV, your average contract value, or in the restaurant industry, your bill, right? It also increases the tip, AKA your commission. So when you think about it from that perspective, everybody that is a business owner, a leader, a VP, any kind of leadership position at any company, you're all in sales. And from a ownership perspective of any company, you're usually the first seller, the person that figures out what works, that identifies an ICP, that finds the right personas to be talking to. And then you trickle that information down as you grow your company. So any restaurateur, any uh, leader that's out there listening to this, if you say you're not in sales, you're not in business. (laughs) Well, here's why I want to go with that because you, you hit something close to home for me. So I spent 15 years in the distribution side of the restaurant business, calling on those restaurants from mom and pop, uh, diners to pizza shops, to, to fine dining. And, And you're exactly right. And there's a concept in the restaurant business called the magic nickel. Basically, after you pay all of your expenses, if you can make five cents on every dollar, you've done well. And and it was amazing to me, James, the amount of times I would go to that restaurant owner and say, hey, why don't you take that sandwich from $3.95 to $3.99? Why don't you put an extra four cents in your pocket? Your customers are not going to know. See, right now, everybody is sensitive because restaurants come out and they get on the defensive and they say, well, we're so sorry we had to raise prices. I'm so sorry I had it. So what you're telling me is you're sorry that a problem that's not your fault is causing you to have to pay more for your product. If I'm in your doorway, I like your product. I'm I don't care. If you so what you're talking about, I think is a distinction. Yeah. I think what you're talking about here is a distinction that sellers have to make between what a warm lead looks like and what a cold prospecting process looks like. These are very different prospects in the current selling and buying environment. In a lot of instances, we have context for reaching out to people. They visited a website, they filled out a form, they attended an event. There's a reason that we got their information and are reaching out to them. These are much more transactional conversations. Yeah. A cold prospect requires a connection. It requires an emotional investment, interest in what you do. And you have to create that. Warm conversations already come with interest built in, typically because they've taken some action that leads you to believe that all you've really got to do is find out, are you interested in this? Would you like to learn more? And that's where it all begins. So I think people overcomplicate this process in such an enormous fashion. Because if you look at sales cycles, most of the time, if you Google sales cycle and then click the images profile, like where you see all the images, what you'll find is thousands of sales funnels, sales cycles built by marketers. So they have tons of little if this then that's they're very complicated you look at this and you're like overwhelmed the reality is a true sales professional one that sells from the heart is typically focused on a few things my content the things i share the stuff i do is the road to connection that connection should lead to conversation if i get that conversation i should try to build some trust some people will call this a relationship once i have it i should have no problem uncovering 
some sort of opportunity or straight out asking for one. And the law of averages says the more opportunities we have, the more sales we make. This is a simple five, six step sales cycle that every seller manages, whether it starts at a more complicated level or a simple level. Well, the sooner we realize that, the easier it is for us to do this every day. Yeah, James. And here's the thing. So early in my sales career, I I would be afraid mm. to to get my price, even mm. though I was selling on on straight commission. I was like, well, if I raise my price, I'm opening myself up to competition. Later in my career, I didn't apologize for my price. I said, look, it is what it is, but here's what you get with it. I'm going to give you two or three things that you can do with this item that's going to make you money. And I'm probably also going to give you two or three other things that you can do to bring more traffic into your restaurant. I'm also going to give you a couple more things. And so I quit apologizing. I remember this one time, I'll share this story with you and with the audience. I would always price goods to a restaurant to the nine, to the highest marketable penny. So maybe I would charge uh, $19.89 for a case of French fries, for a 30-pound case of French fries. And my boss came to me one day. He was a friend of mine, and, and he called me sexy. He said, sexy, let me ask you something. He said, why? And that's a little un, unnerving right there, somebody calling you sexy. It's your boss, you know. Back then, it wasn't a big deal. But he would tell me, he would say, listen, why are He said, you're going to get caught with that kind of pricing. And I said, my pricing is more consistent than my competitors because everything's priced in the nine. And I said, my customers don't have to wonder about their invoice every week. They don't have to wonder if I'm speeding, as we called it back then, speeding in the, in the, in the food distribution business. I said, my pricing is, is going to be consistent. And James, what happened was I was either one or two with, with my, then it's, you know, he later became my sales supervisor when I was the district manager of that same district. We were in one and two in gross profit and we were top 10 in the division, in the company, because we weren't afraid of our price. Yeah. Why do you think so many salespeople or business owners or leaders are afraid of their price? So I don't find that it's the leadership or the owners or anybody that lives above the power line to be the one that's afraid. In fact, I think they're often really good at encouraging people to go for that high-end price. What happens is that, and John talks about this a lot in our training, salespeople get afraid they're going to miss their number. So they start doing things like proactively discounting. And anyone that knows the game knows that if you start a conversation about buying something from somebody on the fifth of the month, and then you go dark for the latter two weeks of that month, there's like an 85% chance that seller is going to reach out and say, hey, if you can sign by the end of the month, I can get you this discount. And you know that that is the way it goes. So what happens is sellers start making decisions and doing things out of desperation instead of sticking to their price and letting that opportunity roll over to the next month and sticking to their guns about the value. And here's why this is important. Sellers out there, please hear me. Anytime you proactively discount, what you're subconsciously signaling to your prospect is that what you originally charged isn't worth what they're buying. And you knew that going into the conversation and you highballed them 
hoping that they would just agree to the price and sign. What this does is damage your credibility as a seller, and it makes you the sleazy car salesperson that everyone runs away from, even though they're on the lot shopping for a car. Yeah. Let me ask you this. This came to mind as I was thinking about what you said. If you could go back to when you were a server in the restaurant business, if you Not could, too long if, ago. You, if you could, if you could do it now and, and go back to when you started. Oh, good question. Let's in go. the restaurant business. Yeah. How would you train you knowing what you know now? Yeah. I think that I would lean more into my electricity, my energy and my personality much more so than I did. Um, it was very systematic for me towards the end of my restaurant career. If I approached a table, it was very robotic. Hey, my name's James. I'll be your server tonight. What can I get you to drink? Right. Sometimes you write it down. Sometimes you don't. After a couple of years, you're just like, whatever. Like, it's like I know what you want, you know? Yeah. So, you, you know, you yeah. just go through the motions. And I think that I would try to provide, I would tell my younger self at the restaurants, provide a good experience for people. Provide a buying experience that they remember. Uh, I talk about this a lot. One of my first jobs that I ever had was I was a bag boy at a Publix down in South Florida. And I only had about 38 seconds, maybe 45 at the most, depending on where they parked, from the front of the door to their vehicle to build enough rapport to get a good tip. And if I could make someone laugh, if I could get them smiling, if I could high five them at the car, if I could do anything that might've made their day, I found that my tips were much higher. Salespeople have got to be able to build that rapport quickly, right? At the restaurant level, to your question, I would lean more into that. Hey, what's your name? Instead of giving you my name, right? That's different. That's unique. I'm probably not going to remember your name, but maybe I do. Maybe I see you again next week and I go, Bill, what's happening? We're building a relationship now. You're coming in here because I get to serve you and you like me and I make you laugh. This is the reason people renew. This is the reason people give you referrals. This is the reason people introduce you to other ideal buyers. The reason is because you're being an authentic individual that's concerned about providing a solid customer experience from start to finish and consistently throughout their experience with you. And I would lean very heavily on that on my younger self going up to these tables in local restaurants and recognizing faces. My recall is very good. So I would recognize them at the door when they come in. Hey, five, high five. You want to sit in my section? Right. And that would make me a top performer. I would upsell, cross sell, give drinks, appetizers. Yeah. Right. Oh, can I give this to a table? Perfect. <laughs> well, and, and again, here, here's the beautiful part. And, and I want to stay here for just a minute. I think we've forgotten the, the art of taking the transaction away from the transaction. Mm. So here's where I want to go. Here's where I'm trying to go with that is that, that we have said to your, to your point, somebody comes to my table. Hi, my name is Brian. Can I get, you know, what would you like to drink? Instead of saying, hey, my name is Brian. Hey, thank you for coming tonight. Um, hey, I don't know what you're in the mood for, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm here to take care of you. I don't know what you're in the mood for, but man, you know, as I started my shift today, the chef made some outstanding, I don't know if you're a lobster bisque fan, but man, the chef made some killer lobster bisque. You know, hey man, that, you know what? We just took some bread out of the oven. If you'll tell me what you want me to drink, if you'll tell me what you want to drink, I'll go grab you a hot loaf of bread yeah. and bring it to the table. And, 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 but, but James, here's the thing we, we, we've made 
transactions, transactional, instead of, to your point, to your brilliant point, taking that transaction and making it relational, connection. There's a time and place to be transactional, and there's a time and place to build connection. Um, when you are an outbound sales rep reaching out to cold prospects, trying to build credibility and earn a conversation, transactional is not the way to go. When you have context, when you have people that are taking action and you have a reason for reaching out to them and it's to that end, you can be more transactional. Obviously you want to avoid the super transactional because typically that's not very attractive to a buyer. But when you call with context for a transactional conversation, it turns from, hey, thanks for taking the call. Do you have a moment before your next meeting? Into, hi, you filled out a form. I'm calling to answer any questions you might have. That's much more assumptive, much more presumptuous. And usually if you're a speed to lead person, which by the way is the best way to go, those people are fresh with it. They understand the context of your call when you say that. And that part of it leads to more conversation. You're basically taking 30 seconds and earning five minutes. And then you're taking your five minutes and earning 30 minutes. And then you're taking your 30 minutes and earning an opportunity. And that is the flow that we need to get in the content and into the habit of performing in our day-to-day, weekly, monthly, quarterly routines. How do I get this person from A to B? Well, it all starts with them wanting to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I wrote down what you said there. Earning more time with customers with That's time right. because you know when 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 james calls james is curious about me james is genuinely interested yeah in why i reached out yeah. james i believe james wants to help me i believe james is not going to waste my time hmm. i believe and that's why i was talking about how do we take the transaction out of the transaction because we, we have become a, a society, and I want to go here for a quick second, and then we'll take sure. a break and get into your story. We've made selling in a lot of people's minds about how fast can we click on the on the computer? You know, how, how, how fast can we go to Amazon? The, it, it, in the mind of most people, sales is, I'm going to go to Amazon, I'm going to find what I want, I'm going to find the lowest price. I'm going to put it in the, the, the virtual cart and I'm going to get out of here. That's sales to them. They so I don't, don't think that's sales. sales. I think that's buying. Yeah. Yeah. Go, okay. So go there, go there with that. Yeah. So that, everybody talks about the concept. sales cycle being broken, but I'll tell you that if you're out there and you're buying a solution or buying anything at all, and you're looking for the bottom dollar, you're shopping for the wrong thing. You're not looking for a solution. You're looking for something cheap. And that's not the same as finding the best solution for your problem, if you're solving a problem. If you're not solving a problem, typically you're trying to improve a process or something that you have in place and you wanna make it better or bigger. So you need something to be able to help that along. The buying process is just as broken as the sales cycle has been, the sales process has been for the last 20 years because people buy things in ways that they shouldn't be shopping in the first place. Great example of this is chatbots. Chatbots are all the rage. They generate a lot of conversations. But a lot of times you'll get people that come into the chatbot and you're like, hey, thanks for stopping by the website. How can I help you? My name's James. And the very first thing out of their mouth is price, question mark. Well, you're shopping for price. We're probably not the best fit because we're not the most cheap solution and we really don't want to be. Have a great day. That's not a qualified buyer for you, right? Because that person is going to buy for something cheap 
right? They don't even really care about the solution. They're just looking for something to appease whatever it is that they're appeasing. And they're probably going to be disappointed in it because they don't know what they're buying, but they know it was cheap. That person will churn after their first year. If you're lucky, they stay the whole year. They will have no referrals for you. They will never have an actual conversation about how your product is working inside their organization because they don't have time for that, right? Mm -hmm. They're too busy doing other things that they deem more important. So we've got to look at the price conversation as one of those situations where the buying cycle has to change. What are you shopping for? Why is it important to you? And this is probably the most important question a seller can ask somebody. And this is John Barrows screaming in my head right now. What is the economic impact if you don't make this decision? Because more times than not, sellers will lose to no decision. Somebody goes cold, they ghost them, and then poof, they remove from the pipeline. They remove them from their forecast. And they never follow back up because that's a dead deal. Well, this is the worst possible mentality to have. You had a conversation. There was interest there. You developed some rapport. Come back to them. Hey, what happened here? We lost you? Did you, you know, did, did we screw up? Have I lost you somewhere? Are you ghosting me? That's one of the number one things to say when somebody does this to you. Hey, are you ghosting me? Like, everybody understands this. We've all done it before. So we have to, like, adjust the way that we are addressing our buyers to find out what kind of buyer they are. And we have to let them know in advance that's not how we work. If you just want a price from me, I need to know more information, right? Unless you have a static price, which, hey, go ahead, give them the price. Yeah, we average anywhere between twenty-five dollars and $35,000. Let me know where you stand. Thanks. That's a transactional yeah. conversation. That's what yeah. they want, right? Otherwise, you have people that are the better buyer, the people that come in and go, I'm curious about learning more about your software. I'm curious about learning more about your solution. Hey, I have a quick question for you. When can we connect? That's a real buyer. That's someone that wants to buy something, hold on to it, and have it be permanently meaningful in their organization. Big conversation there. I love that. I love it. Let's step aside and take another break. When we come back, I want to tell James's story. Oh, yeah. Because we were talking before we got started. There was some things I didn't know. Mm. And I'm like, man, I got to get to that. But we're going to take a break. James Buckley joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. We are in the season of gift giving. Everywhere you go, whether you go to a store, you go online, the gifts are out to be gotten. I've got a gift idea for you I think you're going to love. It's my book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. If you know someone that would love to be a better connector, or you want to help them get there, People Buy From People is for them. Leaders, if you've got teams that you want to connect better, deeper, powerful, both internally and externally, People Buy From People is for them. If you want to connect like you've never connected before, pick up a copy of People Buy From People. You might say, Brian, where do I get a copy? Very simple. Go to Amazon.com, search People Buy From People, Brian Sexton, you'll find it right there. There's also a Kindle version available and an Audible version read by me. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and go today, get your copy, People Buy From People. I promise you, you won't regret it. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourage Podcast. JB, let's talk about your story, man. I, I want to uh, take me as far back as you want to go. Uh, you alluded to it a, a, a few minutes ago, you know, growing up in South Florida. So, man, yeah. the floor is yours. I, I may jump in with a question or two, but 
but uh, take me through your story. Yeah. So this podcast is the intentional encourager podcast. And I feel like I have grown from being someone that needed a lot of encouragement to somebody that now is able to have a vehicle and an avenue to deliver encouragement. And that's been quite the transition for me. Uh, So the short story is that I moved here from, moved here to East Tennessee from Miami, Florida, uh, because I had a drug problem and I had a choice. I could either stay down there and die most likely, or I could leave there and live. Best decision I made, I met my wife here, I went back to college, I got a degree uh, and I got started this great career. I left the kitchen industry and began a career in SaaS and technology, uh, software as a service. For those of you that don't know the SaaS acronym, um, it was quite the learning process. But in the end, what I found myself doing was teaching other people how to do what I do. Uh, There's a longer story about how I ended up at John Barrows, but the short story of that part is that I went from selling a SaaS product to teaching people how to sell. And this provided me a vehicle to get in front of people that needed help. And it turned out that was my why. That's how I found it. So I got more satisfaction out of helping other people be successful than I ever thought about getting when I was trying to be successful. And it turns out helping other people be successful made me even more successful. I got to go here for with you for just a minute because most people, and I live in an area that has a heavy drug problem, mm. Huntington, West Virginia area. Yeah, yeah. About, about four years ago, we had 26 overdoses in one night. 25 had to be narc. 20, 26, all 26 were Narcan. 25 survived. One did not. Yep. How do you find yourself in a place where you say, I've got a problem. I need to get help. And I'm going to move 500 miles from home to do it in a place that, that, I don't know real well because you grew up in South Florida, right? You that's where you born and raised. Yeah, born and raised in South Florida. How do you how do you have enough gumption to go, man? I'm the the place that I know that I can get help and get clean is 500 miles from here in East Tennessee, as far away from South Florida, both culturally and in in a lot of ways, uh, climate, culture, a lot of ways that you can get. How did you come to that decision? Yeah. So first of all, I have family here that was encouraging me to come up here and get away from where I was. So that was very helpful. Uh, But then also I came up to visit in the process of deciding where I was going to move because I knew I needed to leave. Um, And I really fell in love with it up here, slower lifestyle. But the event that really took place was the thing that prompted me to get out of there. I had uh, hurt myself at work. I was a cook at the time and I got burned really bad Uh, right up here under my chin down here. It was like 500 degree grease. Um, And at the time I was on a lot of blow. Like I had done a bunch of cocaine that night, Uh, probably like an eight ball and a half, maybe two. And when I got burned, my boss was like, you got to go to the hospital. And I was like, dude, I can't go anywhere like this. Look at me, right? Like doctors aren't stupid. How did you cook high? I mean, and and I say that and I restaurant industry is the worst for that. Well, but, but I say that because I, and I know that industry, but there's a lot going on in the kitchen. There, there, you, there is in a busy restaurant. To your point about getting burned with with really hot grease, there's a lot going on. 
did did the cocaine help your focus that you felt like in the in the back of the house oh you know it's, it's like gasoline yeah. man you know when you're, when you're on that stuff you're not even thinking about what you're doing you're just doing you're just like robotic going through the motion as fast as possible i mean i was flying through every kitchen at that time period in my life i was working three and four stations at a time i'd make all the salads run the grill stop by and throw something on the flat top put this in the salamander i was my ticket time was like eight minutes flat of everything like it didn't matter what station you put me at so you know when you think about it there's lots of opportunity anytime i walked into the freezer i was doing a bump anytime i went to the bathroom i was doing a line i remember the moment where i realized i really had a problem uh because i was doing i was doing lines off the back of toilets in restaurants and like dude that's gross right yeah. like what are you doing james so uh, the event that happened, though, was that I ended up going to the hospital that night and the doctor did an x-ray and he was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to do a chest x-ray just to be safe. Now, keep in mind, I'm under these fluorescent lights and my eyes are like, wow, like really big. Uh, so he very much was like, hey, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life here. Uh, you're going to get discharged like this is no skin off my back. But just so you know, here's the x-ray. And he threw it up on this light and he was like, you see this NFL size football thing right here that's pushing on your rib cage? That's your heart. I don't know if you know this, but at any moment, your heart could just rupture and you'd be dead in about eight seconds. And there's nothing that anyone in this building could do to save you. About 24 hours later, everything I owned was on a truck and we were on the way to East Tennessee. And I have been off cocaine now for 16 years. That was the best move I ever made in my life. I went back to college. I got a degree. I started a new career. And that's what landed me here with John. And I'll tell you that I've told this story on the Make It Happen Mondays podcast with John. Yeah, do, yeah do that. Yeah, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great story because there are a lot of people out there that can relate to it, and there are tons of people that need a second chance in life that have made some decisions in their past that are haunting them, and they feel like they can't get through it. Just last week, I had a conversation with a guy that wanted to be in tech sales. He's been watching the industry, very enthusiastic, super great personality, big heart. When I talked to him, and he was like, I can't get a job in SaaS tech sales. I have a felony on my record. And I was like, what? Like, that's the worst way to think, man. Like, you have to be able to dig yourself out of that. Put it on your resume. Put it on your, your applications. Be honest about it. But don't disqualify yourself from a better life because of something that lives in your rearview mirror. That's a silly way to think. We can all overcome. We can all find that thing that makes us happy and find a way to do it for a living. That part of it is the part that keeps me going every single day when I get up. When I get up in the morning and I have 10 direct messages on LinkedIn and five emails that say, James, that stuff that you said changed my life. Thank you so much for everything you're doing for the community. That enough is enough for me to keep doing what I'm doing and not worry about the other stuff. The other stuff is a byproduct of that thing that I do. Man, I've got to ask you, please, please forgive me for going back to this, but, but I, I'm, I'm really curious when people tell stories, James, I try to put myself in the moment. Yeah. Okay. I, I am visualizing you laying in, in a hospital bed on the in the emergency room. You, you probably have probably have your chef's coat on. You probably still I did. still dressed. I was covered in grease and I had nasty. Yeah. I had just been burned. Yeah. Yeah. The the doctor comes in and shows you an X-ray, and you said your heart looked like an NFL football. So he came in first to see the burns. He put some silverdine on me. That's like the ointment there. Yeah. And then because he recognized that I was tweaked up, he had said, just to be safe, I'm going to do a quick x-ray. And I know that he expected to see my heart inflamed. And that was what he wanted to get across to me. 
I owe that doctor my life still to this day. Like, well, whoever, he, you, whoever you were, thank you. <laughs> well, here's here's why I want to ask the question. Because you said the next, you know, within that week, you had oh the, no, twenty four hours, twenty four yeah. hours. Oh yeah, okay. You had your all your stuff packed and ready yep. to go. How do you? Because for some people, the addiction is so strong they have to go to a treatment center mm. and get clean. And go through all the the things. It, it's not an easy process. I had been to three treatment centers in the past already to try to overcome this. So wow. I was ready. Was that your was that your that was that your cold turkey scared straight moment where you? I think just so. Said, yeah, I, I immediately decided in that moment that I was done and I was going to make whatever decision I needed to make to change my life in that moment. And lots of things happened as a result of me making that decision that we don't really need to go into here. But the end result is that I am who I am doing what I do and I love it. Every day is a new day that I'm excited about and it's all positive. None of it is, none of it is a negative, right? Even the things that happen to me that I'm not expecting yeah. make it easier for me to move forward. It's much easier to let go of things now because I let go of one of the hardest things anyone could ever let go of. Well, and, and I've got to ask one more question around that, please, if I can. For sure. I asked you about how would you train James, the server? How yep. would you train? If you had a chance to walk in that hospital room and see you laying on that bed now, mm. if you could go back and go, okay, I'm going to go visit myself in that moment. Yeah. What do you think you would have said to yourself or how would you have reacted to the guy? Yeah, I probably would have said two words. I would have said it's time. It's time. It's, it was time for me to move on, time for me to do something else, time for me to get out, time for me to be something else than what I was. Uh, I think that probably would have been the two words that would have came out of my mouth. Oh, you know, after, hey, I'm from the future, that probably would have been the best thing to start with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the future. Yeah. And, and, oh, and oh, by the way, you know, you, you would have been like, uh, you would have been like Biff Tannen and, and given given past Biff from Biff know, from Tannen. Hey, for those of you out there yeah. that are too young to know who that is, that's a back to the future reference. Yeah. Or the, the sports <laughs> almanac. Remember the sports almanac I that sure he put? Do. Yeah. I sure do. Yeah. You would have said, Hey, by the way, the next five Super Bowls are going to be won by these teams. Yeah. yeah I would have said bet on the Cubs in 20, whatever. When 2060. Yeah. 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 Hey, this is going to blow your mind, but the Cubbies yeah. are going to win a You're World Series. You're not going to believe this. Yeah. But... The Cubbies are going to win a World Series. Well, here's the thing, man. I went and bought that year. It's so funny. I went and bought a Cubs hat that had the World Series logo on it mm. and an Indians hat had a, a World Series logo on it because the Cubs hadn't won since 1908 mm -hmm. and, the, and the Indians hadn't won since 1948. So I yeah. figured I was in good shape either way. It was going to be a collector's item either way. Yeah, you know, yeah. somebody was going to break a somebody was going to break a streak, yeah. either way. So yeah, that, you know, I I had to to go there, but no, it's it's funny. And the reason I asked those questions about if you could go back in time and tell yourself, because I think reflection is good for people to to see. Okay, this is where I've come from, and you've talked about that the last ten minutes or so. Let me just tell you that reflection yeah. reflection with action is good. Reflection is not good if that's all you're going to do. If you're gonna look at that reflection and not make a change, make an improvement, do something worth doing, 
It's yeah. not very it's not very helpful. Well, here's here's why I like why I like reflection. I like reflection because I can look back and I can say, man, look look as a Christian, I can say, look where the Lord's brought me from. Right. And and, and you know, I can say, man, you know, knowing what I know now, it, it's been a blessing, you know, to who would have thought two or three years ago having this podcast, I would be getting to talk to guys like you. Friends, friends of mine, you know, like, you know, I, I couldn't have imagined having a friend like Dale Dupree who wrote the forward to my book. Yeah. You know, and, and just having those Shout relationships. Out Dale. Dale and I go way back. I yeah. Love that dude. Yeah. The, 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 the OG man, Dale Dupree, he's a great guy. He's been on the, he, I guess you're on twice on the intentional encourager podcast. So, but, He's but again, quite the encourager. Dale will get you going. <laughs> he, he will definitely get you going. And, and James, I, I love your perspective because here's what I love about your perspective is you look at that situation and I can see, and hopefully you folks see if you're watching on YouTube, if you're not, if you're listening to this, hopefully you see in James's voice. And I, and I said, and I intentionally said that you see it in his voice. Yeah the joy that this man has yeah, and where he's come from and where he's, he's at now and what he gets to help people do to better their lives is, let me, let me ask you this. And, and I, and, and I was going to ask a question, but, but I'll kind of wrap this up here. Give me your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. And I want to do this in two parts. I want you to, to intentionally encourage salespeople because that's what you do. Mm. And then just your, your biggest piece for, of intentional encouragement for anybody else that's, that's out there listening. Yeah. So specifically for salespeople, I'll tell you to recognize your own worth, your real worth. Uh, it doesn't come down to revenue generated, which, you know, that's a good thing. You need that. That's important. If you want to keep your job as a seller, we're all bag carriers, right? Uh, but recognize your worth. You are the first impression, the tip of the spear, the thing that generates new business. And make no mistake, new business is what keeps budgets up. It's what keeps companies open. So yeah. your real net worth is not in that career trajectory that you've imagined for years, becoming a VP and a leader and a manager and all that stuff. The real worth exists right there in the trenches on the front lines. If you can get to a point where you can accept that self-worth, which is not a number, by the way, and if it is a number, it's one that you decide, right? If that is what you're focused on, what really matters to you, you can't lose. Even if you miss a sale or two or somebody ghosts you, you'll find a way to replace it with another deal in your pipeline. For sellers, I think their real worth exists in how happy they are coming to work and doing the job they do. If you can get behind it and you're passionate about it, you'll do it forever. But if you can't, find something else to sell. Now we'll pivot to the real, the, the individuals out there that are not sellers. I think make change. Make change for the better in all aspects of your life. Accept change. Look for it. Seek it. Get comfortable with it. And when you get uncomfortable, that's where growth happens. Don't shy away from that like most people do. Oh, I don't want to do that or I don't want to be in that situation. That's really uncomfortable. That's a good thing. 
not a yeah. bad thing. We need to embrace that as a species of human beings that historically have a difficult time with bad feedback, negative feedback, constructive criticism. You have to look at it through a different lens and adjust that lens so that when you get that feedback, you can write it down, understand it, internalize it, and then take action on it. This is one of the hardest things that we do as human beings, but when we do it, everything changes. Our mentality changes, our routines change, our success rate changes, the way our families feel about us change, the way the people around us view us changes, and we become so much more than we were yesterday. And that is the name of the game. How can I be better today than I was the day before? So that's my advice right there. Man, I love that. <laughs> Making change. No, that, James, what, what a perfect way to bring this all home. Making changes for the better. Yeah, and I want to invite everybody to an event we're doing if I can. Yeah, I get, yeah, man, yeah. go ahead. Absolutely. So we are doing we are doing a three-hour live training for prospectors, for AEs, for people that want to set meetings and get new business in the door, December 7th from 2 to 5 Eastern Standard Time. And you can join us at jbarrows.com slash live, jbarrows.com slash live to sign up for this. You also get the three-hour training plus one-year membership to my membership, the membership where we are coaching and training people consistently. It's all our content. This is the event blowout of the year. So many sellers come to this thing and they go into the holidays thinking about ways they can change and make adjustments to their sales process. And they come back from the holidays with a calculated plan of attack and everything changes from that point moving forward. So thank you very much for letting me say that. I would love to see anybody that listens to this at that show, December 7th. And by the way, if, if you do end up attending to that, end up attending that show and you heard about it here, be sure you let James know that, that you heard about it on the intentional. Yeah. Reach podcast. out to me. I've never met a stranger in my entire yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. Let, well, speaking of that, let folks know how they can connect with you. Oh, you can connect with me anywhere you like. I am at Say What Sales on both Twitter and Instagram. Very easy to find. If you Google the hashtag Say What Sales, all one word, it's impossible to miss me. I'm on LinkedIn consistently. Feel free. James at jbarrows.com is my email address. And get this, I love a good cold call, 305-632-6005. Text call, I will respond. I am the most responsive individual you'll ever meet. And if you want to have an actual conversation about sales, Let's make that happen. But join us for that event. That event is going to kick everything off for you in 2022. And, and you're going to, listen, you're, you're going to want to interact with him. You're going to want to follow him on Twitter. You're going to want to connect with him. Uh, man, what a powerful conversation. Thank you, my friend. James, I am I am indebted to you for it. Thank you, my friend, for joining me on the Intentional Encouragement. It was podcast. my pleasure. Thanks for having me. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.